0: and we're live thank you for coming back for another episode sorry uh doc seska and nick garber couldn't make it today so you're just stuck with me but we have a wonderful guest so hey all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the blasters or blaze podcast just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies a place where magic is king the sky is the limit and space is the place we are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction, mostly Saska. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Denton Sal, Denton Sal, introduce himself. I probably butchered that. So can you first tell people how you're supposed to say it? You're muted.
1: Ah, yes, I was trying to make sure I didn't, um, you know, make noises over your introduction. I pronounce it Denton Sal, the E is silent. okay. Okay. Um, And it is the same word that is used for a fencing school or a um, a sabbat um, academy. Um, I'm a writer, I've been writing technical stuff for the last 45 years. Um, I started writing fantasy three, four years ago because I couldn't find anything I liked to read. I work as a physical scientist, so I have a really hard time with science fiction. I actually, the one con I went to, I gave a talk entitled Transparent Aluminum makes Pandas Cry." Um, I do material science for a day job, and in my spare time, I write stories right now are mostly based in um, Eastern European folklore.
0: Okay, there's a lot of good content to be mined from that. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, since he introduced himself so amazingly, is how we first found him. And so this is yet another one, although it wasn't from the summer. Um, Declan Finn said, hey, you should really talk to this guy. He writes something you haven't covered on your podcast before. And since we're always looking for something a little different, we scheduled him on the show and the rest is history. So uh We'd be really nice if you, dear listener, someone other than Declan Finn, said, hey, you should really talk with these people because we'll make that happen for you. He can't be the only one listening and and wanting people to to be heard. So reach out through the podcast, through the email, through the Facebook group. And if there's anyone you want me to hunt down, I promise I will stalk with the best of them. So with that out of the way, Mr. Denton, you have to answer the religion questions. Are you ready for this? Sure. Star Wars, Star Trek or Firefly? None. None oh okay what would you substitute in their place
1: um one i don't i don't own a tv set i don't go to movies i'm a little weird um
0: they all have books out in the genre that's part of how we picked
1: yeah that, that, <laughs> they, they do i was going to get there um how about three hearts and three lions by paul anderson
0: Ooh, it's a good one okay or
1: maybe, or maybe the broken blade same author
0: Okay, and because we're polytheistic, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or Wheel of Time?
1: Well, I would watch none of the movies, but out of the three, I've read both the um, Lord of Rings and the um, Wheel of Time. I like both of the last ones, but you've got to pick Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, I think it's time we retired Lord of the Rings because it's just not fair.
1: Yeah, no, I mean he, you know, <laughs> it, it's not. It's the two. It's the two-ton gorilla sitting in the room. Um, but I, I, I like, I, obviously, I like the Lord of the Rings. I I, I like the um, Wheel of Time, and I thought um, Sanderson's work with the last three books might have been some of the best part of it.
0: Okay. Um, so we here at the Blasters and Blades love both the fantastical and the scientific, but what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, fantasy. Do you remember what the first fantasy property you read, watched, or gamed?
1: The first one I consciously remember is The Hobbit.
0: Did you read the book? Did you read a Reader's Digest version of it? Was it the cartoon that they did in the, what, 70s?
1: Nope. It was in the early 60s, and it was the uh, book. I saw the map up on a library wall, and I was fascinated
0: cartography does have a special place in my heart. I wish I had that skill because some of what these maps people create, like for their games, because I I like to roll some dice with friends, some of the maps they make are just chef's kiss perfect.
1: Yeah. I just remember seeing, you know, the mountains and the uh, dragons and, you know, the whole thing and just thinking, oh, that looks like a fun book to read. (laughs) And, you know, and after that, you know, early D and D where they had all those cool books in the index. And, you know, it was just kind of downhill from there. I read a mm-hmm. lot of real science books. Um, You know, you know you're you just as likely if I'm on a plane catching me, reading something like, you know, rheological properties of emulsions as you are. um, Oh gosh. Who's currently say I'll give, I'll give him a plug since he, since he, he recommended me, you know, blue saint, you know, um, so I don't tend to read a lot of science fiction. I don't tend to read a lot of space opera. I read some, but it's iffy. I tend to go more to the fantastic because it's hard to do science fiction if you're a physical scientist, I think, and not mess it up. I mean, you look at Asimov's, you know, um, Foundation Trilogy, and anybody who's worked with IA and robotics now just knows how much is wrong with it. Right. Um, so even if you write something that at the time is scientifically accurate, you're taking the chance. It won't be in a month.
0: Uh, now more so than ever. Uh, I think, but the, um, so what is it about speculative fiction? That's the umbrella genre that covers all the things that you love so much.
1: It's, um, Oh, it's, The what the books that I really lean to are the way the world should be rather than the way it is, you know, where good always triumphs and, you know, people are valiant and they're not, um, you know, nobody has to work in marketing and um, you go through, but it's, you know, it's, you get to play with what options are, you know. If there's an old cartoon about a bear and a raccoon that I remember from when I was a kid. And I remember at one time the raccoon saying that the reason he lies is because the truth is so confining. Reality is mm. kind of like that, you know, particularly in my world where I deal with the limitations of things all the time. This is what I do. I, you know, I, I worry about limits, you know, how much you can expose a polymer to before it loses properties, how much you can um, heat something before it's going to start expanding to the point it's going to cause damage to the surroundings. And, you know, I mean, you know, I can, I, you know, I, I, and, and so there are a lot of limits in life and a lot of science fiction ignores them and doesn't come up with a good reason why, a.k.a. Star Trek and transparent aluminum.
0: Okay. So how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre de- transition into you deciding, you know what, I'm going to sit down and write my own stories. You told us the why, but how did you get to that point?
1: I um, I used to travel an awful lot. And some of this is the government's fault. Um, I used to carry engraving and wood carving tools with me, just little things. And they used to let me take them in and I would sit there and, you know, do you know, do stuff with my hands while I was waiting for my flight. And then all of a sudden you couldn't carry anything with an edge. Um, So for a little while I carried a musical instrument, but it's a real pain in the butt. So at some point, somebody I knew in passing um, got me into a Facebook group and somebody was running a writing course. And when I did that, um, I did terribly because I write like a scientist um but everybody was really kind about it particularly a young lady who I don't know if you know Boca Bumbly who writes clean romances out of West Texas and well, I am not familiar but okay well she does clean romance and it's um and she really kind of in a lot of ways just talked to me in that and um then um I also know Mona Lisa Foster who lives nearby and then you know all these people and I started looking at what they were writing and I was thinking you know I don't read as many stories that I really, really like. Maybe I should write what I want to read. And that's kind of how I started.
0: Okay. So and I, many. And I
1: started uh, off with short
0: stories. I do love me some short stories. So many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller?
1: Not really. I don't. I I try to keep my um, real life out of it as much as I can. Um, You will occasionally get traces of the martial art I practice in it. Um, You'll occasionally get, um, well, metalworking stuff. I I try to, if I know something, make what I write true. But I don't really have, there wasn't any like really, you know, road to Damascus moment where I, um, you know, wow, this is something important I got to write about.
0: Okay. So transitioning away from the writing side, let's talk about things from a fan angle. So have you gotten any cool fan art? Had anybody make some cool cosplay of your characters yet?
1: No, they haven't, but I got I, I have gotten f- fan emails, which I just thought was the coolest thing. Um now in my real life, as and I, I most people know know what my real name is. I'm I, I I'm a fairly well-known scientific author, and I have had groupies who have come up and asked for my autograph there. So it was a real trip when I started getting these fan lab letters, and I've gotten maybe a dozen of them. And, um, you know, and two people in particular, every time I put a book out, write me after. it, And one of them looks like he's a teenage boy from his writing style and that the other is a gentleman probably about my age. And um, he, he writes because he says these remind him of the fairy tales he heard growing up. And the kid writes simply because he thinks Jeremy is just super cool.
0: That's a good feeling to have when you get those letters. So has anybody asked for your autograph since you started writing?
1: Not, not, no, not, not uh, fantasy. I have had, I have had a people come, a couple of people come in in my scientific, uh, my day job, say, and ask for my autograph. And I'm unfortunately gifted with a horrible sense of humor. So if you come in and ask to speak to, to Dr. Menard while I have my badge on saying that I'm likely to tell you horrible stories about the man and um, you know how we haven't sobered him up today yet so that he can come to the booth.
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that. Do you remember the first time someone asked for your autograph?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I uh, uh, It was on my uh, DMA book. And this couple walked into the booth and a couple of people from um, they weren't a couple as in. You know, a couple. They were a pair of people, two, not three. And they came in and they both had copies of my book and they said, we read this. We thought it was wonderful. You sign it for us. And it was like, wow. It's a cool feeling.
0: It is indeed. So uh, hopefully soon you'll get that experience for your um, your your speculative fiction so have you ever spotted anybody out in public reading one of your books
1: yeah i did i actually um was um oh gosh i was at a i i don't really go to cons i'm not really well hi we won't go into that um let's just say i don't really go to cons but i ended up getting going to one they're no longer around they were called ancra con they were based on steam funk um steampunk stuff. And there used to be in an Atlanta. And somebody, and I'm pretty sure I know who it is because I think he just wanted me to come to Atlanta to business, signed me up at to be a guest speaker. And they actually called me and wanted to talk to me about the application, which I knew nothing about, um, which will show you that my many of my friends have a military type of sense of humor. Um, and so anyway, they, they ended up, you know, coming and I did a bunch of stuff for them. And I, I was walking outside and there's this young lady uh, dressed up as a Roman um, upper class woman in, you know, costume, sitting there reading the uh, first of the um, of the um, the other series that I did that some um, set in North Texas. It was just really funny. It was kind of. Oh, wow. That's my book. <laughs>
0: Did you, did you offer to sign it for her, walk up and talk to her, or did you just keep on walking?
1: I just kept on walking.
0: Nice, nice. So finally, what is the weirdest or funniest interaction uh, with fans you've had since you started writing?
1: Um, well, but, um, there was one where they didn't read my name tag, and I did the, uh, you know, the lecture thing. That was actually pretty hysterical because I kept looking more and more horrified if I said these terrible things about um, about myself um, before they caught on. Um, but outside of that, um, you know, I really just love the letters from, um, some of the, the, these, these people that write in, I mean, that, that, um, I wouldn't say they were funny, but it's just kind of neat to know that you, you know, one, one person used a word I can't remember. That means when you're, when you're longing for the memory of something that never happened to describe how one of my, one of my stories touched them. And it was just like, it wasn't funny, but, boy, it was it was sweet.
0: Okay. So this is the part of the interview, uh, Denton, where we talk about everything you've written. So can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your body of work?
1: Okay. Um, okay, I have two main series and then two, two that are kind of languishing. Um, the two that are kind of languishing are one that starts with the Warlock's Oath, And book two on that has been sitting around for a while. And in that case, we are using warlock in the old sense of the word, which means oathbreaker. And so that one deals basically with what would have happened if the Vikings ended up in China. And it's kind of fun. I like Chinese stuff. I like, you know, Russian Viking stuff, you know, so it was kind of fun to write. And then there's another set that's set in a steampunk Napoleonic world where Napoleon has somebody who figures out how to do dirgibles a couple of hundred, you know, a, a hundred years earlier. And and kind of goes from there. And it's very, very much like girl genius. It's very bizarre, but that, those two, there's a whole bunch of short stories. I've done some romance. I've done some detective. Um, I'm mostly cozy when I write those. Um, And then the two major series that um, I put most of my work into are the um, what I call the Hall of Heroes series. And that's about what would happen if the creatures of Eastern European myth ended up in North Texas. Um,
0: So sort of a Monster Hunter sort of vibe.
1: Yeah, sort of a Monster Hunters sort of vibe with an organization that started under St. Boris Michael in 650 in Bulgaria and continued forward to today. And it's less of a Monster Hunter, but more maybe of a Monster Negotiator. Okay. Because they have a deal that basically if they keep it and the human crosses it, well, you know, if you're going to sleep with... um, you know a samovile, one of the um equivalent of a, of a swan may from Germany. You know, they have a tendency to drown you on general principles, you know. And um, you made the choice,
0: okay? That is a, a fair thing. Um, although drowning sounds like it would be a very horrible thing to experience. Um, well,
1: yeah, obviously, yeah. you know, it, it, could be worse, could be a werewolf and eat you. Those they tended to hunt that they tend to hunt down and kill. Um, and just because, occasionally I get weird, there are vampires in this one, but they are genetic.
0: Okay. It's so
1: a, It's a virus-based disease, and if you don't come from the right part of Eastern Europe, you get it and you get a head cold.
0: Okay. So that all sounds fascinating, but we're here today to talk about Sworn to the Light, the first book in the Avatar Wizard series. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea? Was it psychedelics, a Ouija board? Overindulging in expired candies.
1: Um, it was probably an overindulging in bourbon, actually, um,
0: as but, one does.
1: Yeah, as one does. It they. they um, I'm not. It, it started as a request for a short story um, from Haggie Lampwriter, and you know she said, you know, you've been playing with this Russian mytho stuff. Could you do a short story? So I did one. And then it expanded into a book. But the, 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 the general core of it comes from either the, the what's not really Russian Orthodox, but say Slavic Orthodox um, folklore and the, um, uh, the Slavonic um, uh, myths and, the, and, and then the great ethics that they have that are actually very much in um, the style of the sagas. And a lot of these survive very late as peasant stories in that. And um, I started in Russian wizards, Ukrainian wizards, Bulgarian wizards, whatever you want, anything from the Slavic world. The wizards usually are born with the power. They don't get it by doing something evil. That's witchcraft and that's bad. Um, And one of the things they do is they change shape. So the book starts with a young man who has the, distressing tendency to turn into a black and white bear. Hence the picture.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to dive deep into that uh, story, but for a moment we're going to pause while we shamelessly show for the man.
1: Van, I know this is hard for you to accept or even believe, but you're not imagining this. You're not going crazy. Your grandfather believed right down to the core of his being in protecting those who couldn't protect themselves. You expect me to believe that my grandfather was a star-faring soldier? I can prove it to you. And how are you going to do that? By taking you for a flight. Whenever you're ready, Van.
0: One of these days, I want to be able to afford my own commercial like that. that One of these horrible. days, yeah. Cheney got lucky with uh, with his people for that. All right. So before we dig in, we're going to take a moment while we look at this glorious cover. So, where did this image come from? Obviously, it's it's the panda that you mentioned. But what's the story of this art and how it came to be on your covers?
1: Um, the core of the picture comes from a fella um, who goes by Dietrich06 on um, Pixabay. And he has a series using this same doorway. Um, and it's usually just the doorway and the staircase. So I um, added the extended wall. You can see that it's not perfect. And then um, I, I, he just does all sorts of interesting art. And, um, you know, like, and so this is um, licensed under the Pixabay license. The bear was added from a picture I took when I was in Chendu at the um panda bear sanctuary
0: oh so you took that picture and he merged it all together yeah okay that's kind of cool
1: yeah they, they, so, the panda sanctuary was a hoop i mean it was just i mean you know anybody who doesn't think these things are bears needs to go visit
0: that is that is glorious so what would the 32nd elevator pitch be for the series
1: um, a young man develops the um, unfortunate tendency to randomly turn into a bear cub. And in order to fix it, he gets taken to a wizard. Um, who turns out to be a wizard lord, but he doesn't know that yet. And ends up swearing to the light in a world that is pretty much... Um, Orthodox tinted dualism, where there is a light and a dark force that are fighting forever, though the um, prophecies say the light will win. And um, if you look at the Easter hymn from the Orthodox Church, they talk about the joyous light. So usually when these people are invoking their God, they are invoking the joyous light.
0: So in a world where nihilism is the the word of the day and not heroes
1: not, 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 are yeah, well I guess our world,
0: yeah. No, no, no. So where nihilism is the rule of the day, where people are anti-heroes or more popular with with the creatives than actual heroes, where good and evil are always sort of shades of gray and the truth is always in the middle. What made you to go backwards to the more um iconic sort of good versus evil storytelling trope that is out of favor at the moment. Well,
1: you yeah, know, that's kind of how I view the world. I mean, quite honestly, you know, there's right and wrong and, you know, there's some stuff in the middle, but there's a lot less than most people think. And if you, you, the cover that you have here does not have the tagline on the top, which says all power comes from the light or the dark. Um, And in this, and in Jeremy's world, it is, you either belong to the light or you belong to the dark. And you may not be as committed as one of the um, the Volk Wizards are, but um, you know, basically, you make a choice.
0: So here is the image that he was talking about. And if you look at the top of the door, I went with the wraparound image because the art was so glorious.
1: Yeah, but you know that
0: it just seemed it seemed a waste not to.
1: Yeah, that that was fun making that. That was a lot of fun trying to expand. <laughs> Rick and, you know, trying to get the ground right and there are a few things i had to take out there's a dog in the original that the bear has replaced it was fun
0: okay and, and your dog was having fun just a second ago so that's always nice
1: he's he's apparently all excited about something um
0: so what is it you think makes your series special
1: i actually have a um a good a, a good character. I mean, Jeremy is a hero in the old sense of the word. Not yet, he's growing up, he's still a kid. Um, I guess in the last book, he's probably about 16 or 17. But you know, these are people who are totally committed to the light. So, if you want to go through a world where the good guys are going to be good and the bad guys are going to be absolutely despicable with very little socially redeeming value, Um, there we go. I I think it'd be fun. I've been told it's a lot of fun to read. A lot of people think it reminds them of what stuff was written like back in the 1950s and 1960s where, you know, the good guy was the good guy. And it doesn't mean he's perfect and he has his flaws and he has a few hangups. But, you know, he's a good kid.
0: Now, when you mentioned that the, um, like the 1950s, are you talking like it's a pulp style of writing or just the tropes?
1: Just the tropes. I don't think I really do a pulp style of writing. Um, I'm not quite sure though. Um, I'm not quite sure I really know what a pulp style of writing is. Well, I guess Doc Savage and that kind of stuff. And it's not yeah. quite that fast paced at times. There tends to be a little bit more character development and a little bit more talk and, You know, and um, these were especially fun. And I'm thinking I may go back and write some short stories back in this period because, you know, the kid is just totally clueless at this point. He has no idea what's going on. He's got this problem. He's hoping they can fix it like they do a broken bone, you know, a magic potion, a couple of spells. He can go home, you know, and he turns out that he has a gift for magic. And then as you go farther and farther in the stories, you find out that it probably should have been expected because his father walked away from the path when he was a young man. And
0: is that a story that we get in the um, in the series, or is it just sort of into that backstory?
1: It's it's in the um Tales Yet Unsung.
0: Okay. So um, which tropes do you feel like you hit the best when you wrote Sword of Light? Or sworn uh, to the light, not sort of light. Sword I should have said light. that yeah, better. Yeah.
1: Um, the um, you know, probably the um you know the 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 questing idea that the you, you you go you go away and you come back different. Jeremy doesn't really come back in this book. He does in one of the short stories and later, but he leaves home looking for something, and what he finds is much, much more than what he thought he was going to find. I mean, he wanted to stop turning into a bear randomly. And instead what he finds out is that, you know, he's part of this great network of heroes that has sheltered the world from the dark for generations. And um, as somebody um, who reviewed it um, said, it's almost like it's written, at you know, in its world's time after the Lord of the Rings would be. The great battles are over and the world's, you know, a mess because it's just been fought over, but the dark keeps trying to come up and these people are both trying to rebuild the world and keep the dark from harming anyone. And so I'm not sure that's answered your question, but this is kind of where, where it went.
0: Close enough. Um, so what genre or subgenres do you think this fits into the best if you had to classify it?
1: Well unfortunately because Jeremy starts this book off at 11 he um, it fits into it, it's usually classed as young adult. Um, after that, I would say it fits into probably heroic fantasy. okay um and it that, that gets truer and truer through the first four books where in the in the fourth book we end up with a major, battle between dark and light and you you start realizing why these people that jeremy studies with in this lodge are so feared you know when they you know debate kind of um maybe we should just level the city instead of you know trying to save it
0: very fire and brimstone
1: yep yeah, there's a there's a scene in one of the other books where um somebody hacks off Jeremy's masker and he, he debates whether or not he should just sink their little island.
0: Oh. Okay, that's harsh. So yeah. what what well, he did, rating that's
1: trying to his wife, you know, he was a little annoyed about that.
0: That will do it. Uh so what age range would you say this story is appropriate for? This both sworn to the light and in the larger series?
1: Probably, I think you'd probably start with, you know, a 12 or 13 year old. And, um, you know, um, one of my fans who writes to me is in that age range. And, um, you know, it's, um, there's no, there is a little bit of nudity because there's are shifters, but it's very minor. And most of the bloodshed is not actually described. If somebody loses an arm, there's no need to describe that it makes a mess all over the floor. You know, most people figure that out. so you know it's it's pretty clean there there is no sex um Jeremy does get his first kiss in one of the books, but that's about as far as it goes.
0: okay. So the um let's talk about the story itself. So what can you tell us about the main character Jeremy you said his name was mm-hmm.
1: yeah Jeremy what makes
0: what makes him uh, unique in a crowded field that is sci-fi and fantasy?
1: Well, he is a young man who has no desire to be a mystic knight is one of the people called one of my reviewers called the, um, the, 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 the um, he's being raised to be an innkeeper. He's the son of an innkeeper, grandson of an innkeeper. Um, you know, he's, um, perfectly happy with his life and he starts turning into a bear. And as he does, he starts finding out that the world is bigger And because he has these gifts, you know, he he comes to the choice that he can lay them down or he can, um, you know, choose to follow the path. And, um, you know, he'll learn a lot of cool things, but he'll also be responsible to be a shield to those who can't protect themselves. You you, You get a classic hero here. There's none of this tortured, you know, he has fun. He likes the people he works with. There are no sitting in the dark. Woe is me. Gosh, I, you know, um, life is darkness. Now I think in general, the kids having a great time.
0: Okay. So I
1: like, I like happy stories.
0: So were there any secondary characters that were especially memorable to you?
1: Well, there there, there are a couple. Jeremy has a um very good friend we meets early on called Harold, um, using the old Anglo-Saxon spelling without an O and replacement A, um, and he's a smith. So he's kind of like a mad scientist in a wizard world. Um, he's training to work with materials and that, and he um, tends to be, a, you'll find out if you read, he tends to be a little over-exuberant in his spells because he's always trying something new. Um, you know, the one that really impressed our mutual acquaintance, um, Del Clan, was the fact that he, you know, built meteorite strike into his warhammer. So, you know, it, it, you know, and, you know you, warhammer will just call meteorites down occasionally, uh, which turns out to be a, a bit of a problem. Um, there's also a young lady um, who is apparently their age, though I, um, you might want to read the story to find out the truth behind that who um is um Annika who is um their best friend so that you have the three of them hanging out together Harold who's a little older than Jeremy and is very very obsessively their equivalent mat- Well, it's not scientific so maybe magicific and um then you have Annika who is the voice of of reason she's not Hermione. she doesn't nag she doesn't do that she just occasionally tells them um you know guys maybe you should think about this in book 2 you'll jeremy will run into the his first love so galena then becomes a very important character
0: now do you focus on the romance or is that more just background material
1: in in book 2 it is the um it is the driving theme um not so much the romance but their relationship because that's what sets up all the problems that Jeremy has to deal with you know everything from a mother um, who hate uh, who hates wizards to um people who are trying to destroy her family because of a judgment that her father gave in court so you know'm I'm, I'm, I'm okay. trying not to I'm trying not to give away too much here but yeah the the um in the second book, the development of their relationship from him being kind to a new student to it actually being a romance is kind of tracked out. And um, my my wife says it's a real tear jerker at times. I you know I, I, I trust her call. So you know,
0: okay. Women tend to know that kind of stuff. So wow, that sounds a little sexist. But we'll just move right on. Yep. So does does your story have any bad guys that you can tell us about without spoilers
1: yeah there there, there are a couple um the, in the first book there is another student who is a a bully and a bit of a thug and um ends up being quite a problem that get that manages to take care of himself um manages to do something that gets him killed which then puts his father into rebellion against the um liege lord and it kind of cycles from there and jeremy in most of that is a sidekick i mean you know he's a 13 year old uh somewhere between 11 13 year old kid in a um you know, medieval world, it isn't like you let them make a lot of big decisions, right? I mean, you know, come on. I mean, I remember being, um, having my sons be 13. You know, I tried not to let them use power tools without close supervision. Um, so that, that, that's the really the villain in the first book. Um, there is also, it's not really a villain, but there is an older man who works in the keep. Um, who really does not like the bear. As in, we have a soup pot big enough for that thing. Dislike, I mean, you know, pretty much. Um, You know, and that goes through most of the book and you later find out that it goes back to the relationship this man had with Jeremy's father at one time. And um so so you've got that too. And then yeah, you got other kids and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's you know that this this Olik is pretty much the big bad guy on the in the first book. And then his family, his whole family turns out to be corrupted by the dark.
0: Okay, so speaking of characters, uh we as authors tend to treat them horribly, do lots of bad things for them for the amusement of all. So if your characters met you in a dark alley and they knew that you were Denton Saul, uh, creator of their torment, how do you expect that to play out for you?
1: I suspect I'd be a frog.
0: <laughs> a I mean, we're, dealing, frog we're, we're,
1: we're dealing with wizards. I mean, you know, I suspect I would be turned into a frog and end up in somebody's pocket until they could find a pond full of snakes to drop me into.
0: Yeah, that sounds miserable. Yeah. So, um, since we talked about characters, do you have a favorite character archetype?
1: Um, actually, my, my favorite character is probably Master Anthony. And, a, and the archetype there is the reluctant. Um, he did not want to be a hero. He did not want, you'll find out later that he's, Jeremy thinks of him as just this wizard and doesn't realize, along the books, Jeremy's not the most astute young man in the world, um, doesn't realize that the guy is actually a very, very potent wizard lord. And he didn't want to do that either. He just wanted to be a scholar. And then um, then the heir and his father got whacked in the war. They die in battle, and he has to pick up the standard. And he still does not... He'd rather do research. You know, he has no desire to be a ruler and a lord and all that stuff. And, you know, and I I think that's kind of my favorite character is the guy doing the right thing, even though he doesn't want to.
0: Okay, so this is the part where we ask for a look behind the curtain uh, of your production style. So were there any cool scenes that were cut from book one, sworn to the light, that, that would make an interesting story for our listeners?
1: Well, um, actually, there are. And um, I started this thing. I didn't know what I was doing writing. I had no idea of genre and all that. I was doing this because it was fun. And I started the book with what's now the first two stories in um, Tales Yet Untold, which is a collection of shorts. And the first story in that was actually the, um, the prologue. And I cut that because I learned um, from an editor that um, when you're writing young adult, which the book has to be classed because of the age of the, the um, hero, um, you need to start with the first character because that's what kids are looking for. So if you start with an old man or a pregnant woman, the kids are going to think it's about that, and they're going to stop reading. So, I, I cut the whole prologue, and then I turned it into a couple of short stories in the um, in the collection of stories.
0: It would help if I unmute myself. So we've talked a little bit about the characters. Let's talk more about the universe. So in many series, the good ones anyway, the worlds where the story takes place are as much a character as the protagonist or antagonist. So what can you tell us about the world where this story takes place?
1: It is based on the old, um, I think they said Balina, the old Russian epics of Vladimir the Golden and his court, um, which have no historical basis. So, the entire world is Slavic-flavored. The far west, where Mistress Ari comes from, you know, is a little maybe Irish-ish. There's a little north place. Um, There are some Westerners. But the majority of the world is either Slavic or Greek um, because the presence of um, Constantinople was you could feel it in the um, in the um, in the old epics there's also um, walled chin China and India the Glorious because what we forget these days is when these Slavic things were written the what's now um, Kiev and um, the Ukraine was the center of the Silk was, was one of the centers of the Silk Road so They were very aware of things on the other end of the world. So that's your physical world. You have a country that we've never visited or talked to, India in the south. You have the ruins of what used to be Constantinople that was destroyed in the Great War. And then you have the rest of the world being mostly Slavic. And when you get to Africa, you have uh, um, basically um, Sheba.
0: Okay, because that sounds interesting.
1: That, that was aware again. That was something that was aware um, that they were aware of in that days. I perfectly, I purposely left out the Middle East and Egypt and all that kind of stuff because they just didn't seem like they were any fun to write.
0: Okay, so do you tell stories like in all of those places, or do you just limit it to where um, the main character is at?
1: In most of the books. You it's limited to the main character, but you meet characters from all these places. Um, the weapon master in the first book comes from a steps tribe, and he has visited China and India. He and his wife, who are both um steppes born. Um Anthony's um blood brother, not by birth, but by so sw- but sworn by the sword, is um a surviving prince from lost uh Sheba. I mean that that's that 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 was ruined in the war. He's one of the few survivors, and he's Anthony's best friend. Um, and so you get these people from these other places, and as the stories go on, you get to more and more of these places. In book two, Jeremy goes up into what would be their equivalent of Scandinavia. Um, in let's see, I'm trying to think where book three was. Um, Book three pretty much happens just at the keep though. He does get to go into the enchanted forest, which is in all good Slavonic, you know, Slavic folk tales. You got to have an enchanted forest, you know, it just wouldn't be right without one. Um, You know, but the main part of the stories happens in the keep. And I've actually been told that I should have probably cut a bunch of the first stuff and put that into short stories too, but I didn't. And then in, um, Book four they go into what would be the uh West where in um what would now be Italy again in a world where um you know you've had this major destructive war so not quite so many of the cities survived so Rome is gone um or the equivalent of Rome is gone and most of the south is a you know, is a barren wasteland the the bad guys come from vaguely um when they had their empires, it was basically based in what would be Carthage. So, you know, you kind of, the the spear of destruction centers around that. Um, And, you know, and we do at, um, in some of the short stories, you get to meet people from Chin and India and um, that, but those, those lands haven't been visited by Jeremy yet. Jeremy's, um, to give you a foretaste, Jeremy is headed in the um, uh, Halls of Eternal Music to the dwarves. People always make dwarves metal workers. So I left my dwarves metal workers, but they're also musicians and glassmakers, And they're very, very good at music because what else do you do in a dark hole in the ground when you're not making swords or mining? I got nothing. Yeah, you're not going to do a lot of reading when there's you know in a cave, right? So, um, you can play music if you're good without being able to see the, see where your fingers are. So they're all musicians. Um, so you get dwarven bards, which is kind of fun. Um, and they, they we don't really go too much into their height or their size, but you could probably think of them more like the um, the Norse things where they're they're short, but they're not Tolkien short. Okay. Um, and then, um, so that, and then the next book that hasn't been titled yet, Jeremy is going to go on a quest to, um, Sheba.
0: Okay. So
1: it's going to suck. It's going to suck so much. Um, I might not even last. A frog. I might be a frog and be stepped on.
0: Okay. Yeah. So sworn to the light is clearly part of a series. Uh, I know because it says so on the cover. So how many books are there currently in the series right now?
1: There are four books in the series, and then there's a book of short stories that has things in it that range from pre-sworn to the light to post-Hall of Heroes. um, Hall of Eternal Music, I'm sorry.
0: Okay. So, you've written those stories. There's clearly a little bit more coming, so obviously the story's not done. What can we expect for for your characters in the world?
1: Well, Jeremy is um, going to find his um, life uprooted yet again. Um, He is um, going to, at some point, have to deal with the fact that um, his relationship with Galena is getting stronger and stronger, and her mother still would like to eat him. Her mother's a bear shifter. Galena's a bear shifter. We have a very pro Earth Science series here. You know, if you don't like bears, you're probably not going to like the story. Lots of bears.
0: So they're not impressed that he can turn into a bear, too, sort of? Uh,
1: yeah, but he's still a wizard, and she really does not like wizards. Her dad's okay with it, but her, her mom really does not like wizards. She thinks they're untrustworthy and sneaky and, um, you know, that they have evil intent towards her baby girl. Um Actually, from what we've seen of Jeremy so far, Jeremy is naive enough, even in the later books, that if anybody has evil intent in this relationship, it's probably Kalena. Because Jeremy, Jeremy's just, I mean, Jeremy's just a really good kid. I'm, I'm kind of shocked he actually turned out to be as clean cut and sweet as he really is. Um, it, w- it was surprising, you know, I, I, you know how characters kind of take off and go on their own places. I actually had to create him um, uh, another character, so that there was somebody in Jeremy's circle who was a little bit of a rake, because Jeremy's sure not.
0: Okay. That um, sounds like it's interesting. So let's talk a little bit about the magic in this world. So what kind of magic can we expect from this series?
1: The magic in this world is different. One, the Volk um, do not consider it magic. They get very upset if you call it magic. They consider it craft. Um, What they do is the way magic in this world works is they change the flows of power that sustain creation. And by doing that, they can do everything from turn an island into a coral reef or cast a fireball.
0: Okay. So if all... Go ahead.
1: Very, very tightly tied, at least if you're working with the light, to your allegiance to the light. If you do not swear to the light, weird things happen with the power because it really has no control. Um, So it's basically there's like a lodge. You know, you can think of it as mystic masons or knights of Columbus. And their rituals actually open gates of power and teach and help you develop control. Um, and without doing that, the only real alternative for you if you don't want to go insane or wake up permanently as a bear cub one morning is um, to quench it. And they, they have a ritual where you can basically kill your ability to use the power, um, which Jeremy chooses not to take. And um, so you get occasionally these mystic... Um, initiations that Jeremy has to go through that open him more and more to see the world the way the light does in terms of these flows of power and to give him more ability to manipulate it. And the next one, which he hasn't had yet, he will basically be able to tap what they call the one stone, the true stone. And this is something that turns up in all the Russian folk tales. People talk about the one, the true stone, the Altair stone, and they don't really describe what it is so i made it the um the place where the um, light stood when it created the world the first stone ever made this is what he stood on when he separated water from land from water
0: okay and that so- comes
1: from a russian orthodox icon that has christ standing on this big blue ball and creating separating earth and, and water
0: Okay. So of all the magic that you invented for this universe, what would you which would you want for your daily use?
1: Oh, I'd love to have the ability to change the flows of creation. That just sounds like that would be so cool. Um takes a lot of work. There are lots of um tricks you do to use it, like you tie knots and ropes, which is actually the knotting thing is an, actually an old Russian folklore thing to, you know, cast spells and you know, keep your cows happy and that kind of stuff. And witches used to do it. Um and, you know, there's that, the, um, dark, all of their magic comes from death and pain. Um, and, um, you know, all of their rituals involve either killing somebody or desecrating the dead because it's basically the denial of life. So the, the, the power, and I want nothing, I don't want anything to do with that. It doesn't sound like any fun. Um, you know, um, but, um, there, there's basically one magic. There is healing and that kind of stuff. And later in some of the books, some of the people are talking that we don't really understand how it ties in because there can only be one magic. All power comes from the light of the dark, right? So um, we, I, we got into that point at one point, and then I quickly backed out because I wasn't quite sure I wanted to go there.
0: Okay. So if you had this power of creation, How would you abuse that?
1: Gosh, I would hope I didn't because I have a feeling in this world, stuff you do like that, the light talks to you about. Um, It tends to be a very, not a very. um, Impersonal um, power. It tends to, you know, kind of occasionally slap you alongside the head. Um, Jeremy has all sorts of dreams until he actually decides to do what it wants, where it's telling him to do this. Um, I'd like, you know, what I really like is one of the things that drives Jeremy and Master Anthony is understanding that. And that's what I think I'd like to do with it. I would really like to be able to get an in depth understanding of just so many things, you know, why certain materials do. I mean, and yeah, we can do calculations and do that, but it's not the same, you know, I can do them, you know, but. It's like people talk about quantum mechanics. People don't really understand it, but they know how to use it. You know, and if you had this kind of power, I think you could actually understand it, and that would be so cool.
0: Okay. The um, creatures. So, so you obviously you have magical creatures because you mentioned the dwarves, the elves, or the dwarves at a minimum. So how did you go about creating these creatures? um that you added into this world was it your nightmares did you let mother nature inspire you, no, I, did I, you stole them. Them?
1: I stole them from the the old slavic myths
0: that was what i was about to add uh was yeah. it purely from the myths
1: well they've been tuned a little bit um i um you know because these things change over time um the dwarves probably have more toklin in them than i want to admit i think it's probably impossible to do a dwarf or an elf anymore without some of his influence um, either negative or positive. Um, we do have some fae, though. Um, they're different. They're not as noble. Um, they're described in one of the books, in one of the short stories, as being almost like bees, in that they have a collective sense of something, and when they don't have it, they die. Um, you know, that bee, that being cast out by your um, fey community is pretty much a death sentence because you just emotionally and intellectually can't handle it. Your brain explodes or something. I, I didn't, haven't quite gotten that far, but um, that, and um, I'm kind of working on the dwarfs now because they're really in the hall of heroes. The um, current dwarf that basically shows up in the first four books is and I keep calling it the Hall of Heroes because that's my other series, and that actually comes from the Slavic tendency of kind of mocking what you do. like if you talk to people who weightlifted in old Russia, they'd refer to the place with all the weights and the kettlebells as the courage corner. you know I mean, it's that kind of Eastern European humor. but um the in the Hall of Music, Jeremy actually visits the um in the hall of eternal music jeremy visits the dwarven city and um they're they're they then it starts getting different but the original one was either was kind of pretty much a standard fantasy dwarf but he he pretty much came from the idea of the russian in the name and that and the same thing with the leshy the spirit of the woods and the um he um one of the old russian gods who jeremy cuts a deal with at one point. Um, And, you know, and I, since I do have a pretty much monotheistic world, except for the dark power who you never quite figure out If We have not gotten to the point where I have to define whether he's actually like a fallen angel or an independent power that we're leaning heavily towards fallen angel. Um, The Jeremy, um, you know, when he runs into many of these creatures, they're almost lifted out of the whole cloth, out of the old Russian fairy tales. Or the Ukrainian fairy tales, I guess, would be more close since most of them are based out of Kiev in the south rather than Russia. Um, so Okay.
0: okay. Well, clearly this interview is winding down, but before we let you go, was there anything about Sworn to the Light or the Avatar Wizard series that we didn't ask that uh, that you wanted to tell us?
1: No, I think we I think we covered most of it. You'll get magic weapons and you'll get spells and you'll get strange creatures and you'll get, you know, flying alligator alligator dogs and all the weird little creatures that hunted the great um, you know, forests of each eastern Europe and people's imaginations. Um, you'll, you you you'll probably get a dragon or two at some point. Um, You know, if you go into the short stories, you'll get to meet people who are modeled after um, various great Russian leaders. Um, There's one character that's very heavily taken from Ivan the Terrible, who, by the way, wasn't really Ivan the Terrible. We do that in English, but it was really the Fearsome was his name. Um, And, you know, so there's a lot of that. I try to pull into much of these I always loved those fairy tales growing up when my grandfather would tell them to me. And then when I got old enough, I could read them. And I just thought it was, you know, it's a, it's a mythology and a um, set of folklore that most people don't know. So it's kind of fun to write because, you know, it's not like I'm doing the same thing with here's the bright, noble elf. And here's the kind of, you know, the, 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 the stocky dwarf blacksmith and, you know, we have instead we have dwarf harpists and you know glass and you know very delicate, pretty dwarf women who are kept almost totally in seclusion.
0: So, are these books available only in print, or are they? in um, I mean, only in like print and ebook, or are they out there in audiobook as well?
1: Not yet. We are. I am currently working with a young man out of Atlanta, Georgia, um, who is going to be doing Sworn to the Light as an audiobook hopefully by the end of January.
0: Okay. Is this a new narrator or someone we might've heard of?
1: He's uh, James um, Berkville. And I think he's, I think he's fairly new at this. He's done a couple of other books, but he has done, you know, we've talked and he has done just a great voice with doing everybody with a, you know, I mean, because you got Jeremy, who's this kid from the small town going to this big thing. So he did all of the adults at the, at the, at the uh, keep the, the, the uh, master Anthony's place with heavy Russian accents and it's just it's just it's just wonderfully fun um he actually uh, you know he's got that and he's got you know um, you know Jeremy's mother who just sounds like this you know very you know very frantic busy you know woman who runs an inn with her husband and now she's got a kid who turns into a bear when she's not looking
0: that could be problematic.
1: You know, I mean, Uh, you have to worry about it, too. You know, I mean, they all used to sleep in one big room back then. I mean, is he going to eat his brother, you know, at night because mistake him for a protein source?
0: (laughs) That would be actually pretty funny to write. Yeah, uh, there's a
1: series of stuff that will never be published between me and the gentleman who um, proofreads these for me, where we have played with ideas like that and just decided we can never let these get out.
0: Understood. So before we let you go, uh, dear listener, I'd like to remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platform. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. People, uh, it is greatly appreciated. And we are still planning on doing an episode where we talk about the value of reviews as a fireside chat. So stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, Denton, can you tell listeners how they can find you?
1: Um, yeah, you can, you can find me on obviously Amazon. Um, under the name of Denton Sol or under Avatar Wizard. Um, I have a web page that is DentonSol.com. I am on both Miwi and um, Facebook as Denton Sol. Um, there are not a lot of us out there. So, you know, as long as you get the name right, you should be able to find me. Otherwise, all of these link from DentonSol.com on the website to all the other places I am. I don't do Twitter, Instagram, and I don't have a patron yet, but um, you know, I have been I have been encouraged to try to start some of those. But I honestly thought at this point in my um, writing habit, I would rather try to get the audiobooks out because I think they would be fun.
0: Okay. And you can find us, dear listener, on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters of blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters of blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters of blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters of blades podcast. We do have a Facebook page separate from the group, so you should hump that down as blasters and blades um, podcast and it will give you the page as an option and click like, follow, do do your part. And we'll be able to name that more than just a gobbledygook. But in the meantime, it's just a string of um, numbers more complicated than somebody's Bitcoin uh, address. Uh, In the meantime, we have a website which is um, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on, or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section. That it is for the podcast, and I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Uh, And on that happy note, dear listener, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absent, Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go.